Well, good morning and welcome. It's good to see you all out this morning, and we're just so glad you're here on this beautiful Lord's Day. If you're joining us via live stream, welcome uh, as well. And um, we just want you to know if you're visiting with us for the first time, we do have some first-time guests uh, here at East LJ. We have been captivated by Christ. We have seen in Jesus, and we cannot unsee the glory of God, the Scriptures tell us which is the grace and mercy of God given to forgive us of all of our sins, to justify us and declare us righteous before a holy God all through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that message, that reality has captivated our hearts. And it's our prayer that uh, if you're joining us today, you would see the beauty of Jesus, you would understand the grace of God in Christ, and find yourself captivated by Him as well. Several announcements as we begin uh, first of all, if, you're, uh, if you've been, vi- been visiting with us uh, or visiting this morning for the first time and would like to get our church-wide communications via email or text message, uh, then you can f- fill out a Connect card online. Uh, if you're joining us by live stream right there on the YouTube page, there's a little link to a Google Connect card. Uh, or you can go to our website, uh, eastljbaptist.com, and uh, fill out the Connect card there. Uh, or you can email uh, us. You can email my secretary, Vanna, V-A-N-N-A, E-E-B-C, for East LJ Baptist Church, at Gmail. And we'll get you signed up. That's one of the key ways we communicate um, and let you know what's going on. We'll share prayer requests that way as well. So uh, if you're not part of that, get signed up for that. Also today, at the end of the service, as you're leaving, we'll be receiving our uh, quarterly foreign missions offering. Um, and so we're excited uh, about that opportunity to give, uh, even generously and sacrificially, that the gospel may go to the uh, ends of the earth where those, uh, so many people have not yet heard about the gospel. And we'll have in just a few minutes uh, a, a missionary spotlight uh, about some of the missionaries that we support. Looking toward next Sunday, next Sunday morning during the worship service, we'll celebrate the Lord's uh, table together. Uh, and so just prepare your hearts for a sweet time of communion next Sunday morning during the 11 o'clock service. Also next Sunday, immediately following the morning worship service, we'll have our um, monthly church conference. Uh, This will be uh, a conference where we approve the budget, uh, and copies will be available, I believe, today on your way out. If those are not there, uh, you can also contact us, and we'll get you a copy of that uh, this week via email. And then finally, uh, on the doors coming in, you may have noticed uh, there's a couple signs on the doors coming in, so you'd have to be on the outside of the door to see the signs. But an opportunity for us to encourage our, our local health care workers, um, Piedmont Hospital in Jasper has a program called Adopt a Healthcare Worker, um, and you can just sign up. You, you give them a call or send them an email that gets you signed up and sends you a name of one of their employees, and you can send them a card or just a little personal note once a month what they're asking us to do. So if you just, on your way out, if you'll just take a picture, use your phone, take a picture of that sign, um, and then you'll have the phone number. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, a neat opportunity, like 600 and something employees that uh, we have the opportunity to encourage. So uh, get signed up in that, something real simple and easy we can do uh, that will encourage those who are in the middle of the, uh, on the front lines of the COVID crisis uh, in our local hospitals. I want to give a quick shout out and thank you to our missions committee as we receive our quarterly foreign mission offering today. Uh, I'm going to ask Joe, uh, Joe Hensley, our 
uh, interim chairperson for the missions committee to come and He's going to be sharing a, a missionary spotlight, just highlighting, uh, we're going to do this once a quarter when we receive the offering, highlighting one of the missionaries that we support and letting you know what's going on with them. So, Joe, you come and share with us. Do you need all this stuff up here, Chad? <laughs> Good morning. I wanted to... Uh, just take a minute or two and talk about uh, our missionaries in Kenya, in uh, East Africa that we support. Doug's got a few pictures. I had grand visions of a multimedia presentation, but it didn't happen since my kids don't live at home and I would have had to figure out how to do it myself. <laughs> but that'll give you an idea of who they are and uh, some of the places they live. Uh, one pastor we support is in Mahuru Bay in Kenya. He's in one of the pictures with his wife, and uh, he's like me, has five children that may be in one of those pictures. And he's been a pastor there for 10 years, and he's a graduate of a Bible college in Kenya, which is another mission I'll get to in just a second that we support. That mission was started by our former pastor's parents, uh, Dave and Elwanda Fields, who have gone to be with the Lord now. And uh, Pastor Harrison, a native of Kenya, is in charge of that mission now. Um, so there's two parts to our Kenya mission support. And uh, I asked them, I get to communicate with them uh, by email is usually the best, although Pastor Kennedy calls me about every other week and I get to talk with him in that Kenyan British accent. So we have a little trouble understanding each other, but it's a pleasure to be able to actually speak with him. Um, their church has been growing in Mahuru Bay, which is uh, on Lake Victoria. If uh, when you get home, you can get a map out and see where that is. But uh, needless to say, their churches have been really affected by COVID as well as ours. Uh, the government there uh, had them closed down last fall for a period of time. And during that period, too, they suffered the same economic problems that we have, except to a greater degree, I would think, in that the pastors are supported some by what we give, and, uh, but all of them have other jobs as well to try to support their own families and uh, pay to send them to their children to school and those type things. And uh, it's just magnified tremendously <clears throat> When the economy moves a little there, they have so little to begin with, it really affects them. And so both churches really wanted me, or both missionaries really wanted me to express their appreciation to our church for continuing to support them through this time. And, you know, some years ago when we had our own economic collapse in this country, we continued to support them. And they've been able to continue to grow these churches that uh, they pastor. And, of course, they have needs. And it's interesting that they both, uh, the first need they said was to pray for them because the difficulties they face now, they always face economic difficulties. And, you know, we think if you go out to a nice dinner, back when we were able to go out to dinner, uh, you could spend $200 for a family pretty easy, and $200 there uh, for a month would make all the difference in the world. 
in their lives. I mean, um, prices of some things are so low for food that just makes a tremendous difference that they're able to make. And what we give goes to support uh, that work. And they also have <coughs> conferences, which they've had to uh, not have this past year because of COVID. But they do have plans this year, hopefully, to be able to have conferences where the other churches will gather and they'll have pastor conferences and training to send them back out. And um, also uh, couples conferences and pastor's wives conferences. It's just like we would do and try to train and equip their believers to go out and uh, teach others about Christ. So it, it makes a huge difference. And the more that you... Uh, look at it the more that uh, you realize how big a difference it makes and some things that we take for granted and don't think a thing about uh, spending money on would make a huge difference in their lives so I'm very proud that we're able to support them which we have for a number of years um, <clears throat> and the ways we can support of course is first by prayer as they both said first and then they appreciate the fact that we can meet their financial needs. And uh, so just pray about that. And as you give, just realize what a huge difference it does make. And if you have more interest in this, you can grab me and I can show you how to hook up with them and uh, get more information. And both these pastors are on Facebook, which is kind of amazing. <laughs> so you can see pictures of the works that they're doing and uh, pictures of their families and, and the gatherings that they may have. And uh, you can also go to the, the missionary organization, IFM, and sign up for their newsletter. So um, just give uh, freely from your heart at the end of the service and know that that makes a huge difference in the world. And I wanted to read you a verse that stuck out in my mind. And of course, we know that Christ has commanded us to go to the ends of the earth and spread the gospel. And we know that, and that's what we're trying to do, both here locally and throughout other parts of the world. But in uh, Galatians 6, 9, and 10, it says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are the household of the faith. And that just struck me that... Uh, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> and we'll uh, get to spend time with them in heaven and learn much more about what they were doing. And it's not only that uh, they need our help, but when you have a chance to learn more about it and talk to these people, it's amazing their faithfulness and their commitment to Christ. And it really makes me feel inadequate with with what I do compared to what they're doing. I'm losing my voice there a little. But anyway, um, if y'all would like more information or would like to serve with us on the missions committee, just see me after service. Thank you, Joe. And many of you know, but some of you won't know, that Joe's actually been there to Kenya and, and uh, worked alongside of uh, both these pastors that he mentioned. Um, the as 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 he mentioned, uh, David and Elwanda Fields, the the former pastor here's parents, uh, started that work and and were there for decades, literally. 
uh, and have left this legacy in the local pastors that now carry the ministry on and the mission that they're with, IFM, actually has, first time they've ever done this in their history, they've made Pastor Kennedy and Pastor um, Harrison associate missionaries of the mission board. And so there's this accountability now with the local pastors there that are serving in that capacity. So just exciting things uh, going on and continuing even after the death of uh, David and Elwanda Fields. I want us to pray for our missionaries. Uh, you'll see up on the screen just a list uh, of the, the various missionaries. We're just highlighting uh, Kenya today, but there's others that we support. So join me as we pray uh, for our missionaries this morning. Father, thank you that you have let us understand who you are, that you've let us understand the gospel, that we can call you Father. And Lord, thank you that you've allowed us to be, you allow us to be on mission with you around the world as you build your church and expand your kingdom the world over. And so, Father, we do pray for Pastor Kennedy and Pastor Harrison and the other, the whole association of pastors there in Kenya and our brothers and sisters in the churches there, that you would just strengthen them in the work as they continue to reach their part of Kenya with the gospel. Lord, we lift up our, our other missionaries as well. Clint Nashland Teal with Ethnos 360 in Papua New Guinea. We pray for them, Father, as they're among the Wabuku people, that you would strengthen them and, and be with them now as they are on the near, near completion of language training. Father, I pray for um, Hannah Kelly with Wycliffe in Southeast Asia. Just pray continue to use her in, this, in the international school there. For Paul and Marla Fields, Lord, with the Open Door Baptist Mission, uh, training now, having spent a career on the field in Paraguay, now training missionaries to go uh, overseas. And Father, we pray for, the, uh, for Pastor Denzel and the Jamaican Association of Churches and the kindergarten that we support there uh, in Jamaica and just ask that you continue the work uh, of spreading the gospel throughout that community as well. Lord, what a joy to be able to be partners uh, in the fulfillment of the Great Commission with each of these. And we pray your blessings on them. Now, at the end of the service, God, open our hearts. Cause us to, with joy and gladness, give, even sacrificially today. We who are so rich financially, but also, Lord, rich in the gospel, may we pour out sacrificially our, our money as we give today that the gospel can go to those who are so spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ and apart from a knowledge of the gospel. We pray it all, that your name might be glorified, Father. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me as we read from the Word of God. We are working our way through the Lord's Prayer as found in Luke's Gospel. We started a five-part series there last Sunday. We'll be looking at that again today. But I want to read from Matthew's account, Matthew's record of the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, you'll see the Scripture on the screen. Jesus said, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, 
And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you, but... If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And so Jesus teaches us how to pray. We'll be looking at more about that later on in the service at the time of the message. How to pray. He starts here by telling us how not to pray. Uh, No need to heap up a bunch of words. Uh, No need to uh, pray to be seen of men. God sees us and hears us and He knows our needs. But I'm so thankful, as we saw last week, that you and I, if we know the Lord Jesus today, we can look to heaven and say, Our Father. We can call out to Him and know the God of all, uh, of all the universe, the Creator of all things, our Father in heaven. And so, what a privilege. We know that's possible only because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And sometimes we maybe just take that for granted, don't we? We, we? we commonly pray, Father. We start our prayers that way. And we talk to God. We're able to talk to God all the time. But there's people that you know that don't have that personal relationship with Jesus. They cannot and do not call out to God in prayer, Father. There's people right here in, in LJ. You, you work with them. You live with them. Uh, they're, they're your neighbors. Uh, you go to school with them. So we want to pray for them that they would know our God is Father. We also want to pray for people the world over, even as we've already prayed for our missionaries. Uh, but an unreached people group that I want us to pray for today is the Quran Kayastha people in India. There's 527,000 of these folks, over half a million people, with no evangelical witness among them. So join, my, join me as we pray not only for the Quran Kayastha people in India, but for your neighbors and, and family members as well. Father, what a privilege that we can intimately address you and know that we are loved by you. All because of the perfect life, sin-atoning death, and victorious resurrection of Jesus, who did it all in our place, that we might be made right with you. Lord, we know people in this community that need to know you as Father. They don't know you as Father. Father, I pray you would grant the the gift of repentance from sin and uh, eyes to see the beauty of Jesus and the gift of faith. They might trust in you and know what it is to be an adopted child of the King. And Lord, we pray for the Quran Kiyasa people in India, half a million people who, most of whom have never even heard the gospel. We pray for missionaries to be raised up from this room and from other places from your church worldwide to take the gospel there. Father, thank you that we can gather in freedom today and worship you. 
Father, how we pray for our nation. And we pray that God, as the church in America, we would shine as a bright gospel light, full of grace and truth. Lord, that they would see, the world would see in us the love of Christ, first for one another, and then even for our enemies as we imitate Jesus himself. Father, how we pray for peace, how we pray for healing of, of huge divides, and, uh, and, and God, how we pray for your glory in our nation. Father, we pray for so many, it seems like this last week's hit our church family awfully hard, and we pray for so many, Lord, who uh, are battling COVID close to us. Uh, Father, we pray for those grieving today. We pray for, uh, continue to pray, Lord, for the Pulliam family, and thank you for them and their uh, example of faith and, and trust in you in the middle of this time. Father, we ask now that you come and that you be pleased with our worship as we sing to you, as we worship you and lift you high, Lord Jesus. May, may you be pleased and may men, women, boys, and girls be drawn to the beauty of our Savior. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start with singing Great is Thy Faithfulness in just a minute, but I'll tell you what I forgot to say a minute ago is uh, Pastor Kennedy pastors that one church and also pastors and preaches at other churches. And there's an association of 20 churches that are under the direction of Pastor Harrison where he is training and equipping those pastors and helping them, trying to get the funds necessary to build a shelter to actually worship in. So that's kind of the differences in what they do. So let's sing together on Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Father, we just praise you today and exalt you who are forever glorified and lifted high. And even today, Father, in a world where that's not seen, it's not obvious, thank you for the truth of Scripture that tells us that Jesus, having lived a perfect life in our place, born on the cross all of our sins and made perfect Redemption payment for us, Lord, having been buried for three days and rose again in victory. Thank you that, Father, you have exalted him to your own right hand and you've given him the name above every name. He is forever glorified and lifted high. The Lamb has overcome and the Lamb reigns over all things. And Lord Jesus, as the King of kings and Lord of lords, you are moving all of history, even when we can't see it, to the ultimate end of your everlasting kingdom. And on that final day, every knee will bow, whether in heaven or on earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Whether or not they all trust you, they will not be able to deny who you are and that you are indeed forever glorified. Father, may even now as we open your word, may you lift high the name of Jesus through the proclamation of your word, through the receiving of your word, the hearing of it. May your spirit, Lord, give us understanding and may your spirit Give us clear and personal application in our lives that we might be changed more into the likeness of Jesus, that He might be seen and glorified in us. We are desperate for your touch. We are desperate for your teaching. We are bankrupt without your help in these moments. So we cast ourselves on you, and we pray, God, that you would come by your Spirit and help us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll be dismissed to Children's Church, and as they're making their way out, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we have been for some time now working our way through Luke's gospel, and we will continue to do that over however long it takes us to get through. We're just plugging along, working our way through Luke's teaching uh, and, and Luke's account of the life of Jesus in this gospel. We come to Luke 11, and we began a series last week on Luke 11, 1 through 4, which is uh, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, maybe perhaps more accurately. And uh, so we're just going to continue that for uh, today and then three more weeks after this. For years... Europeans have told the story about citizens who prepare to crown their king. Crowds lined the street 
uh, in those days of kings and so forth, to see the, the new king pass by in procession. And in one particular place, and in one particular day of coronation, a 12-year-old boy began to push through uh, the crowd. And he, he was able to penetrate this mass of people and get all the way up to where the guards were. And the guards stopped them, and he tried to get past them, but they stopped him. And they told this young boy, you cannot get through here. Don't you know that this man is the king? And the little boy replied, he may be the king, but he's also my daddy. And needless to say, this 12-year-old boy gained access to the king. And so it is when true believers in Jesus pray to God we can say to the King, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, on the day that Jesus gave His disciples the Lord's Prayer, again, a better designation would be the disciples' prayer. Uh, This is a prayer Jesus taught His disciples to pray. It's how we as followers should pray. On the day that he gave this teaching, it was just after, as you'll see in a moment, Jesus himself had been praying. He'd been talking to his Father in prayer. What we see throughout the the Gospel of Luke is this. Jesus didn't just teach on prayer. He prayed. In fact, Luke emphasizes the praying of Jesus more than any of the other three Gospels. And he records nine prayers of Jesus, and seven of those prayers are only found in Luke's gospel. Prayer in Luke's mind, as he wrote to to Theophilus, as he wrote to someone who needed Jesus, was a huge part of the life of Jesus, and so important, not only as he taught us to pray, but as he showed us how to pray. We're in the middle of a series called How to Pray. This is part two of that series. Last week, we looked at the first and overarching petition that Jesus taught us to pray. That is, Father, hallowed be your name. What we took home from from last week was this, that all of our prayers are to be shaped by this first petition, by the ultimate end of all things, that is, the glory of our Father. All of our praying should be shaped by that petition Father, above everything, and in everything else that I'm going to ever say to you in prayer, hallowed be your name. Father, glorify your name. Make your name great in me. Make your name great through me. Make your name great in the world. Let it be seen in all of its beauty, and all of its glory. Let the world know who you are. And so we pick it up in Luke 11. We'll begin in verse 1. And as I mentioned a minute ago, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place didn't just teach it, he did it. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say. Here's how to pray. You want me to teach you how to pray? Here's how to pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not 
into temptation. We mentioned this just briefly last week. You can tell that's a little different than Matthew's account. We believe that most likely, uh, based on the placement of, of these, the, the, the prayers in, in the different Gospels, uh, this, this account was at a later time than, than the account Matthew records in Matthew 6. Uh, makes sense that if Jesus taught them, this is how you pray, here's kind of a pattern for prayer. makes sense that he probably taught that more than once. Not a real problem, no issue, uh, and that it would explain some of the differences, what some things that are added and left out of each uh, pattern of prayer here. So today, we come to focus on the second petition Jesus taught us to pray here in Luke 11, verse 2. Last week, Father, hallowed be your name. Today, your kingdom come. Here's what I want you to take home uh, from this simple petition. We are to pray, according to Jesus, for God's glory by the coming of His kingdom into our lives through our practical obedience to His will. So we're to pray for God's glory. Remember, that's the one that's over, over everything. Everything under that initial petition serves that initial petition. The glory of God is the point of all of the other ways of praying that Jesus instructs us. So we are to pray for God's glory by, here, the coming of His kingdom. Your kingdom come, the coming of His kingdom into our lives through, as we'll see in a minute, our practical obedience to His will. Verse 2 again, and He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Your name, first, Your kingdom come come. If we flip back to Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 and 10 and read Matthew's version given here of Jesus' prayer, it says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. That's where Luke stops. Notice what Matthew adds, what Jesus says additionally here on this occasion. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Matthew fills it out for us a little bit. Uh, along with asking, teaching us to pray, your kingdom come, Jesus taught us to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what I want you to see here is how closely those two requests are, are related. The coming of the Father's kingdom and the doing of the Father's will are one and the same, in essence. The coming of the Father's kingdom into the world today and the doing of the Father's will on earth today are one and the same request. Jesus teaches us to pray for the Father's glory in our lives and the world by asking Him to bring His kingdom into the world, which means practically for us to do His will in our daily lives. So let's just talk a minute about this phrase, the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? We're asking God to bring it. Your kingdom come. God, send your kingdom into this world. Make your kingdom known in this world. Advance your kingdom in this world. So what is this thing we call the kingdom of God? The term kingdom is used some 162 times in the New Testament. That tells me something. It's important. Whatever it is, it's important for, for it's found 162 times in the New Testament. It's referred to in, in various ways as the kingdom of God, as it is here. In other places, the kingdom of heaven. There's really no difference. Those are just synonymous. It's, it's, it's all talking about the kingdom 
that belongs to God, and sometimes there's just reference to the kingdom in heaven, just to make it clear that's God's home and that's where the kingdom originates. But the two are one and the same. One commentary said this, the presence of God's kingdom in this age refers, what is it? It refers to the reign of Christ in the hearts and lives of believers and to the presence of Christ in His body, the church, so that they increasingly reflect His love, obey His laws, do good for all people, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is. It is His presence in the world. It is, it is His reign on earth, specifically in the lives of us as believers. It's His presence in the church, the body of Christ, so that we as believers increasingly reflect His love, obey His laws, do good for all people, and proclaim the good news of the kingdom. And we're taught to pray, Father, Your kingdom come. We're part of your kingdom. We're asking you to bring it in, in its fullness. We're asking you to help the kingdom flesh itself out here on earth now. Kevin DeYoung, preaching on this passage, said, We are not seeking first the advancement of people with our own skin color. We are not seeking first the advancement of Western civilization. We are not seeking first the triumph of our political party or even of our nation. We are seeking first God's kingdom. And it is a spiritual, unseen, but also powerful kingdom. The kingdom of God, according to the Word of God, is both now, and that's really the focus of our passage, and yet to come, right? The kingdom of God is both now, there's a now aspect, and there's a future, yet-to-come aspect. Uh, let's start with yet-to-come first. Matthew 25, verse 33, Jesus tells what's going to happen the, the day He returns. And He says, and He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on His left. Then the king will say to those on His right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the what? The kingdom prepared for you from, from the foundation of the world. The kingdom is yet to come. The kingdom, in all of its fullness, will be ushered in on the day Jesus returns. And, he, and on, on that day of judgment, first, he'll separate the sheep from the goats. The goats he'll send away, he goes on to say, in ever, in, in, into everlasting destruction. But the sheep, he'll say to them, come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. This is the eternal state. This is our everlasting abode with Jesus himself. There is a not yet, a yet to come aspect to the kingdom. One day, God's kingdom won't be spiritual and unseen and moving amongst the kingdoms of this world. It will be the only kingdom left, and it will be forever. And if you and I know Jesus, we will be there. But the kingdom of God is also... Now, that's where Jesus' focus is in this prayer. 
We know that by the expansion of his thought and of his request that we saw in Matthew 6. Your kingdom come, but then he, he keeps going. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's almost like the second phrase explains the first. What do you mean, Jesus, when you tell us to pray your kingdom come? Well, what I'm really talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you to pray that the will of the Father would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right now, think about it, right now in heaven... Whoever's in heaven, the angels, our, our departed loved ones who've, who've, who've known Jesus, what are they doing? Exactly what God says for them to do, and they're doing it perfectly. Jesus said, pray your kingdom come. And what that really looks like is that more and more we would look like heaven. In other words, Father, your will, we want your will to be done here as perfectly and fully and completely and immediately as it is in heaven. The kingdom is now. Matthew 12, 28. We're just going to run through a bunch of scriptures real, real quickly. Matthew 12, 28. Jesus said uh, he's, he, he, had cast, he had cast out some, some demons and got in trouble with the religious leaders over it. You know how that worked. He, he was always getting in trouble by doing these outlandish things that proved he was the son of God, but they still didn't want to believe it was him. It is, he says here, if it is by the spirit of God that I cast out demons, listen, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So he just cast out demons. There's no question about that. And he looks at his, his doubters, at his enemies here, and he says, look, if I've done this by the Spirit of God, then here's what you need to realize. The kingdom of God, it showed up on earth in me. Because demons don't cast out demons. They were accusing him and, of, of casting out demons by the name of Satan. Jesus, Jesus like, Basically, y'all, that's stupid. <laughs> it don't work that way. The devil don't cast out his own demons. Only God cast out demons. And so what you need to know, I just clearly cast that demon, those demons out. What that means is the kingdom's here. God's reign on earth, I just brought it. Matthew 13, 31 and 32, and then also verses 41, or 44 to 46 he put another parable before them saying, describing the kingdom, the now kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. That's how the church grows today. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, small. It, the growth happens quietly. But today, all over this planet, while kingdoms are divided, while kingdoms are in disarray on the level of human government, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is growing like that mustard seed. It's expanding. It's reaching every tribe, tongue, people, and nation with the good news of Jesus. It's a tree that everybody can find rest in. Verse 44 of Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You know what? When someone understands who Jesus is and what he's done for them, when they understand their sin before a holy God, their need for a Savior, and they realize that Jesus, according to the gospel, lived a perfect life in their place. He bore all their sins and the punishment for their sins, God's curse against their sins. He took it on the cross was buried in three days, rose in victory to give them newness of life and empower them to live differently. A man will sell all he's got to have that. A woman will 
look at everything else like Paul did in Philippians 3 and, and count it dung. Everybody clear on what that is? You ever, do you treasure dung? How do you count dung? Loss, trash, refuse. You don't carry that stuff around. You don't treasure it. And Paul says, Every, once I saw who Jesus was, once I realized what Jesus had done, everything else, I considered it done compared to that. I sold it all, figuratively speaking, to gain Jesus. So I could buy that treasure hidden in the field. Again, verse 45, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, that's what saving faith is. When you treasure Jesus over all things, and let me just exhort you and challenge you. I want to I warn you here if this is you. If you think saving faith is just believing that Jesus lived, died, and rose again, cognitively assenting to that, mentally acknowledging that, then you don't understand what saving faith is. Saving faith is being willing to sell everything because you treasure Jesus. Your heart values Jesus above everything else. And that's what the kingdom of God is like. This is how the kingdom of God grows. The kingdom is now. This is what's happening in hearts and lives as, as people hear about Jesus all over the world. Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there, for behold, listen, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. You know what the Jews of Jesus' day wanted? They wanted relief from the Romans. They wanted Jesus to set up his earthly rule on earth. They wanted him to take over. They wanted him to run the Romans out. They wanted him to literally reign in a, in a national way, in a, in, a, in a governmental way on earth. And Jesus said, nope, not now. That's yet to come. That's not why I came. Until he comes the second time, until he comes to judge and, 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 end in, and, and at the end of days when we enter eternity, until then, the kingdom is now, but the kingdom is different. It's in the midst of us. It's unseen. It's a spiritual kingdom. As one preacher said, where Jesus is present, the kingdom has come. In John 3, 3, Jesus said... Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to this, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't, you can't get in unless you're born from above, unless the Spirit of God changes your heart and, and gives you both repentance for sin and faith in the Lord Jesus. You, you can't be part of the kingdom by being a part of any particular nation it's not a physical thing. It's a relationship with God, first and foremost, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom's yet to come, but the kingdom in this prayer, your kingdom come, is the kingdom that is now. Kevin DeYoung, again preaching on the passage, said the kingdom can come, arrive, and appear. This is very important. But we do not establish, expand, or grow the kingdom. It is not a society that we go out and build. It is a gift to be received. 
You know, God saved us by his grace and gave us faith to trust in Jesus. And you know what we got? We got an everlasting relationship with Jesus as our Savior, God as our Father, and the church is our family forever. We didn't make the church. It's as, it's, it's as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, I believe it is, uh, where he talks about how God is building a temple for, the, for, for himself on earth, and, and, and Jesus is the cornerstone, and then like living stones, he adds believers' lives and, 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 and together built around the cornerstone of Jesus, we as believers are the house of God, the temple of the living God on earth. There's no literal temple anymore. We, as the church, are the temple of the king. Luke 12, verse 32, I love this. What are we praying? Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to this in Luke 12, verse 32. Jesus speaking says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your kingdom come. You know, you know what? Your father delights to hear you pray that, and your father loves to give that. He loves to answer that prayer, which means he loves to help you make the kingdom known in this world. He will answer your prayer. It says he takes pleasure in it. He will answer your prayer. He wants to help you do his will on earth as it's being done in heaven. Now, that ought to encourage you. I mean, are y'all tracking with me on this? I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to do the will of God on my own. Amen? How many of you just wake up obedient? See, if you raise your hand, you're a liar and you're not honest because the bottom line is none of us do. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we can't, right? The Father tells us to pray this way, and the Father, Jesus tells us about the Father in Luke 12, 32. He delights to give us the kingdom. Fear not, isn't that a beautiful wording? Fear not, little flock. Oh, precious sheep of mine. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You want to pray a prayer that you can know Jesus will answer? Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in my life on earth as it is in heaven. He'll answer that if you pray it. He'll help you do that. Jesus' little flock is what we call the church. It's what we call the body of Christ. Another way to think about how the kingdom is present now is to think of the church as an embassy. Y'all with me? The United States of America has embassies all over the world in different countries, right? And those embassies are essentially outposts of the United States government, right? And there in those embassies, the rules are different. The rules are like they are in the United States, right? That space has a privileged status in those other nations. Things are not, you go out of the embassy, you play by their rules, right? They're in charge. But in the embassy, U.S. rules apply. It's helpful to think about the church as an embassy, an outpost of God's kingdom among whatever earthly kingdom or nation we find ourselves, a place where the laws and ways of living are of our homeland, where the place of our first citizenship rules over our behavior. And just to be clear, just don't want any confusion here, the church is an embassy 
of God's kingdom, no matter your nation, the church, this church, is an embassy, an outpost of the kingdom of God in Gilmer County, Georgia, USA. We're an outpost of another kingdom. We live by different rules in this world. You know, we're not making this picture of the church's embassy up because in 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Paul says, we are ambassadors. Where do ambassadors live? In embassies. Hello? We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. God's planted embassies of the kingdom all over the world so that men, women, boys, and girls might be invited to become everlasting citizens of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And we are the messengers, ambassadors. We live to cry out, be reconciled to God through Jesus. So the Father wants us to ask, and He wants us to answer, and He wants to answer when we ask, your kingdom come. Then, we've already read it, but now I just want to pull it out a little bit more. Your kingdom come, but back in Matthew 6, verse 10, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. J.D. Greer says this prayer is us surrendering ourselves to pursue God's agenda on earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The notes in my ESV study Bible says This means God's revealed will, which involves conduct that is pleasing to Him as revealed in Scripture. Just as God's will is perfectly obeyed in heaven, Jesus prays that it will be experienced on earth. That in our lives we would be obedient to what God tells us to do, the way He commands us to live in the Word of God. So when Jesus talks about your will be done, that's the part of that's the, the, the will of God that's being discussed. We could talk about uh, another will of God is seen in Scripture. has to do with God's sovereign reign. In other words, God is perfectly working out His will in all the details of history. The idea of sovereign providence, right, in, in history. This, though, is talking about the revealed will of God. This is how I want you to live. Do this. Don't do this. Act this way, don't act that way. The the, the commands of our God. Paul Miller, in a a great book, by the way, a a book called A Praying Life, Connecting with God in a Distracting World, he says this, we need the sharp-edged, absolute character of the Word and, character of the Word on one hand, and the intuitive personal leading of the Spirit on the other hand. The Word of God provides the structure and the vocabulary The Spirit personalizes it to our lives. If we believe Scripture only applies to people in general, then we can miss how God ultimately personalizes His counsel to us as individuals. We can become deists, effectively removing God from our personal lives. But everywhere in Scripture, we see God speaking to us with a personal touch, prompting us to obey and to love by His indwelling Spirit. What's all that saying? It's saying this. The will of God that Jesus is talking to when we say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is talking about the revealed will of God is given in the scriptures. 
what Paul Miller is saying is we've got the Word, and that's the foundation. That's how we know the will of God. But we also know the will of God by the Spirit of God. Here's the deal. The Spirit of God, as He guides me personally, let's just, let's just take one for example. Be kind to one another. Okay, so your application of be kind to one another is going to be in a different relationship under different circumstances than, say, a relationship I have with a neighbor where I need to be kind, right? But the Holy Spirit is going to show me the way I need to apply be kind to one another on Liberty Lane up the hill from the church right over here in LJ is I need to not say something to so-and-so who's my neighbor or I need to go over and help them in, with their yard work to show them kindness even though they, you know, stared me down as I drove by the other day, I'm going to go over there and I'm going I'm to be kind to them. Now, that, that application, is that's, that's specific to me. The Holy Spirit showed me how to apply that verse. He didn't, he didn't reveal something to me that's not in the Word, right? But He showed me how the Word applies in my life. And He'll do the same thing for you, and that's what's being said there. Well, what is the will of God for us? Well, there's... A lot of things Jesus says do. Jesus says don't do. Uh, the, the authors of the New Testament like uh, Paul and Peter and, and John and James and others, commands they give, things we're to do in the church, ways we're to relate to one another. One that kind of sums it all up is 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3. Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. <laughs> What's the will of God for you? That you be made more like Jesus. That you look more like Jesus, that you act more like Jesus, that you talk more like Jesus, that you even think more like Jesus. Because in Philippians, Paul says we're to think on those things that are good and righteous and pure, right? And so just in general, that we be sanctified, that we be made holy, that we change and become more like Jesus. That through the Word of God, Romans 12, our minds are cleansed and renewed and changed so that our lives are transformed, our behavior is made different. But it's like Martin Lloyd-Jones said, holiness is not something we're called upon to do in order that we may become something in the kingdom of God. It is something we are to do because of what we already are. Again, you and I are adopted children of the king. And because he initiated the adoption, and he paid for the adoption, and he made us who were his enemies sons and daughters. Because of that, then we ought to live like children of the king. Amen? Not to become children of the king, but because he's made us children of the king. And out of gratitude and love and and amazement at his grace, we, we give him the lives and we say, God, it ain't about me. Our Father, hallowed be your name. And practically what that begins to look like is, let your kingdom come into my life. And what that means is, Father, let your practical will, the way I think, speak, and act, let your will be done on earth in me as it is in heaven. Because of God's grace in Jesus, all of our praying begins with our Father. We pray and live from that sweet position of being adopted sons and daughters of God. Never, ever forget that. John Piper takes this prayer and just sort of expands it, just takes the thoughts that Jesus has given us thus far and expands it into a prayer, something like this. Father, this is what what Jesus is saying. This is how 
we're to think about this prayer so far. We long to see you honored more and more in our church and our city. Cause your name to be hallowed among us. Magnify your worth and your glory in our midst and let your kingdom come. Take up your kingly rule more and more fully over our church and our lives and our families and our city and hasten the day of Christ's final appearing. We do want and we can ask for at the same time, Jesus, we want to see that forever kingdom happen. Maranatha, Paul would pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So that's in there. So here's the question. Is that how you and I pray? Does this pattern of prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is that how we pray? Does that shape your prayer life? I want to make this real practical for me and for you. What kind of request? Just think about it and be honest with yourself. What kind of request make up the majority of our prayer life? Our Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in my life as it is in heaven. Is that what shapes our praying? God, help me to obey uh, the command there in Philippians, the command over there in Ephesians, that command Jesus gave in John 13 where he says, love one another, lay down your life for each other. Do we pray about those things, about the will of the Father being done in our lives for his glory? Is this an oh me moment yet? Do the, just, here's another question. Do the majority of my request, your request, in prayer to God as his child, do, listen to me, do they differ from what might be found in the prayers of those who do not understand the gospel of Jesus and trust him as their savior? Are they different? Or do they sound like most anybody who would in a moment of of trouble or when they needed help, pray to God and ask God for things like healing or financial stability or relief from sickness, right? Again, does that mean we shouldn't pray those things? Of course not. But don't miss the pattern that Jesus said, here's how you should pray. First and foremost, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What's most important in, in, in this whole prayer, it's, it's all about God. And then our relationships, as, as His glory affects our relationships, we'll see that in the weeks ahead. And so, a couple things that we learn to pray for here. We're to pray for God's kingdom to come into people's lives through gospel proclamation all around the world. How does the kingdom come? How does God's reign in people's lives come? It comes when you and I tell our neighbors and co-workers and family members and friends about Jesus. It comes through our supporting missionaries like we're going to do this morning as we give so that they can go to Kenya and serve there, so they can go to Jamaica and, and, and Paraguay and, and Southeast Asia and Papua New Guinea to a tribe where, where, where they don't even have a written language so that the Scriptures can be translated. They can understand the gospel for the first time in their own tongue. We're going to pray for God's kingdom to come into people's lives through gospel proclamation all around the world. But we're also to pray that our lives would model God's kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
on earth as it is in heaven. This makes sense. If we pray that way, we must live that way, right? Like we're not just praying that, hey, God, I want your will done in everybody else's life. Can you, can you fix all those people at church? <laughs> Father, <laughs> here's what I want you to do. None of them have it figured out. They don't understand your will, and they sure ain't living it. So God, can you just, your will be done in, you know, Joe and Betsy and Greg. and You think God's listening if I'm not saying, hey, start with me? Pray that your life would model God's kingdom through your obedience, your outward focus, and your expectancy. You see, Scripture in other places tells us we are aliens, we're strangers, we're sojourners, we're pilgrims here. This is not home. We're from another kingdom. We're from a heavenly country. And we're to live differently. Peter says, live like aliens and strangers. Live like you live by different rules than the people around you because... Hello, if you're really Jesus' follower, you do, and you will. And if you don't, remember the words of Jesus when he said, a good tree produces what? Good fruit. Good fruit. A bad tree produces what? Bad fruit. We're to pray for God's glory by the coming of his kingdom into our lives through our practical obedience to his will. I mentioned modeling the kingdom through our obedience, our outward focus, and our expectancy. Just quickly, let's break that down a minute. Our obedience, very simply, we exist to do His will. Jesus put it this way in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Is that plain? Does that need explanation? We get that, don't we? If you love me, you obey me. Father, help me to love Jesus practically by obeying your commands. This is how we should pray. This is what it means when we pray, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Start with me, change me. But also we're to live with an outward focus, Jesus makes it clear. In Matthew 5, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. We're to live with an outward focus on the lives of others. And in this case, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on loving even our enemies. Hello? You know, we're never more like God when we, than when we love our enemies. Why? Because you were an enemy of God when Jesus died on the cross for you. Hello. Y'all all right? You get it? Matthew 28, 18 through 20 takes that outward focus to a different level, and it says another way we're to love our, our neighbors is it says Jesus came in verse 18 and said to them, talking to his disciples just before lift off, before he ascended to heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You get that? There's none any higher than our Savior. And he says, so here's the deal. Since, since that's true, you need to listen to what I'm about to tell you because I'm fixing to give you the great commission. Here's the point of your life if you're following me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we're to live in obedience, but we're to live with an outward focus, loving our enemies and taking the gospel to the nations. We're commissioned to announce the good news that the kingdom of God has come and anyone who trusts Jesus as Savior can become a citizen in his spiritual and eternal kingdom. If you want to think about the kingdom this way, so Jesus came and lived on earth and, 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 and was born of a virgin, was raised, lived a perfect life in our place, uh, was, was tortured and, and then went to the cross and died for us, three days dead, rose from the dead, 
40 days later, he ascended to heaven. Jesus' life on earth was the inauguration of the kingdom, if you think about it this way. Now, today in the church where you and I live until Jesus comes again, this is the time of the mission of the kingdom. We're on mission. Jesus is building his church. Jesus is expanding his kingdom through us. And in the future return of Jesus, that'll be the consummation of the kingdom. That'll be when it becomes eternal and and full-blown and and we'll forever be with him. So we're living obedience, we live with an outward focus, but we're also living with expectancy. As we pray this prayer, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're to live with expectancy. We're to expect God to hear our prayer and to answer with action by his spirit to enable both our obedience and bring the fruit of our witness, bring fruit from our witness. In other words, we're to take God at his word. We're to believe him when he says, pray for my kingdom to come and, and know that, that, it takes, that it gives me pleasure to give you my kingdom. And we take him at his word when he tells us throughout Scripture, but particularly in Luke 14, that he is an inviting and welcoming God to all who will acknowledge their sin and need of a Savior. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a story. He said, um, he's, he, he's, he's telling the story there, and he, it's, it, verse 12 says, Luke 14, 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest, you also, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so basically, this guy had invited Jesus over because he'd become popular. This guy had invited all the, the people that, you know, the, somebodies, the, the people that were somebodies uh, in town to the house, and Jesus basically rebukes him. I mean, how, how would that go if you were, the, you were the guest of honor? You say, look, next time you have a meal, don't do it this way. You, you mess this whole thing up. You're supposed to invite the people that can't pay you back. You don't, you don't invite just your friends. You, you know, you're not supposed to just invite the people that can actually give you something in return. You're doing, you're, if you want to be like God, you're to invite the people that can give you nothing in return. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have your friends over. Don't, don't go crazy on this. The point, though, is Jesus is saying God is a welcoming God. If you can pay Jesus back for saving you from hell and making you right before holy God, righteous before holy God, raise your hand. Who are we in the story? We're the crippled, the poor, the blind, the naked. We're the ones who have nothing and can give nothing back to God. And that's the ones God came to save. Because here's the deal. Until you say, I'm spiritually bankrupt, I need a Savior, you'll never be saved. God will never save someone who says, you know what? I've got it all together. God, I'm, I'm just as good as you asked me to be. I'll be fine. I'll see you in heaven. You know where he'll, he'll, what he'll do? He'll bust hell wide open. Because he doesn't acknowledge his own sin and his need for a Savior. Jesus came to save sinners. And so we're to go to sinners. We're to invite all. If we believe that Jesus will build his church, then we'll expect him to save and rescue and spiritually resurrect dead people as we proclaim the gospel to, to them. Do we live with that expectancy? You see, if we're praying this prayer, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And we really think God's going to hear that prayer and answer it. Then we'll live with an expectancy for, that when I, when I talk to somebody about Jesus, I expect God to be there in that moment. And I expect God by his spirit to move in that person's heart. And then I watch him do his thing. 
We don't save anybody. We're just the messengers. Never forget Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 as we come to a close. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We're living with expectancy because we pray this prayer. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray it to a God who can do more than we could ever ask. He, he, he's, he's bigger and more able than we can even fathom. We can't even imagine. We can't even, we can't even come up with requests that are bigger than his ability. Hello? And so we should live with expectancy. And we should live expecting Jesus' return and that eternal kingdom. He is coming back. We're to pray for God's glory by the coming of his kingdom into our lives through our practical obedience to his will. John Piper gives us this challenge. The glory of God's name and the advancement of God's kingdom are the primary concerns of prayer. That's what we've learned so far, and it's not going to change as we work on down through the rest of these verses in Luke 11. The glory of God's name and the advancements of God, advancement of God's kingdom are the primary concerns of prayer, period. That ought to characterize our prayer lives. If, Popper says, this feels foreign to you, if you never plead for the name of God to be hallowed or the kingdom of God to come, don't be content to stay stuck at that immature level of praying. But understand this, that's exactly what level of prayer you are at. When it's all about me, when I say our Father, and then I just go and talk about me and everything I want my genie daddy to perform for me in my life to benefit me, I'm praying like a baby. It's not a prayer of a mature believer who understands what Jesus has done and who it's all about. Because Jesus himself said, this is how you pray, our Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Lord, what I mean by all that is you start in me. You start right here in my life. We're to pray for God's glory by the coming of his kingdom into our lives through our practical obedience to his will. And here's the deal. If you've never prayed that way, if you've been praying the other way, if it's been all about you, it doesn't have to stay that way. You can change, you can grow, and you can grow through following the teaching of Jesus right here in this passage. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that you taught us to pray. Thank you that we are learning how to pray. God, forgive us when we pray like selfish babies, as if it's about us. Forgive us for ignoring the teaching and pattern Jesus gave us. That's all about the glory of our Father and the advancement of his kingdom in and through our lives by our practical daily holiness and obedience to you, as well as bold witness for you. God, forgive us, change us, transform us, make us more like Jesus. Help us to start in prayer. And then once we've prayed that way, the way you taught us, help us to live that way obediently with an outward focus full of expectancy that the God to whom we pray answers. That the God we ask to work in our lives 
wants to and will if we'll follow in faith, if we'll trust and obey. Lord, I pray if there's anyone who doesn't know you here today that today would be the day of their adoption as a son or daughter of the living God. I pray that as the gospel is made clear, God, they would look to you, confess their sin, admit their need for a Savior, and value Jesus above all other things, kind of everything else lost, dung, for the surpassing value of knowing Jesus and having their sins forgiven by him and being held forever and indwelt by him by the Holy Spirit of God. Make it so, I pray. Father, for us, your church, bring repentance. Make us a people of prayer. Prayer according to Jesus' pattern that we might be in sync with the heart of our Father to whom we pray. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand together as we close in song.
all God's people said? Amen. Amen and amen. amen. We trust that indeed it is for everyone here today and those joining us by live stream well with your soul. It can be through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't know him, uh, if you need to know how to come to know him as your Lord and Savior, see me after the service. Find someone that you know that knows Jesus. They can tell you how to know him and let them lead him, lead you to them today. As we dismiss today, we will be receiving our, uh, our regular offering, also our foreign, quarterly foreign mission offering. So give gladly and joyfully and sacrificially for the cause of his kingdom come. Amen. And we're dismissed. <laughs>